welcome to Knitter Square. I'm your host Leanne Hunt and I hope you'll pick up your knitting and spend the next little while with me as we share that warm fuzzy feeling that comes when we knit and crochet for charity. Well hello everybody and welcome to episode 10 of the podcast. I hope you're all doing well. If you're still in lockdown I hope you're keeping busy and uh, occupied with nice productive things like knitting and crocheting and um, if you're out and about I hope that uh, the weather is good and um, that you're able to get back to some of your normal activities. I'm happy to say that I'm still well. <laughs> um, I have spent a, a weekend where I didn't feel so strong um, I think I was having some sinus problems and a little bit of a catch in my throat and I was worried that that was going to develop into something but Glad to say that it didn't. My headache went away and I don't think it was anything more than just change of season. We are now into August um, and I'm happy to say it's warming up a little. The sun is rising a little earlier every morning and setting a little later every evening. So we're past that very, very bitter cold period that we were dreading in the middle of winter when we couldn't get blankets out to the children. Uh, so distributions and things have been continuing um, at a very sort of very much slower pace than usual, but um, we are still managing to to sort of do some regular distributions. And certainly on the local front, people have been fantastic the way they have been bringing squares into the barn um, and uh, sewing them into blankets and just keeping the wheels turning. It's been really good. <laughs> As I record this, I am working on a a lovely kind of square. I'm, I must say I'm really enjoying this. This is a, a design that Rebecca Price shared as part of the KAS Cal, the Knitter Square Knit Along. And it's the corner to corner square with stripes. Um, this particular square that I'm knitting is in double knitting and the base color is in a sort of a charcoal gray and the stripes are in I think it's white, could be cream, <laughs> can't see very well. Um, anyway, uh, what I particularly like it is like about it is that you start off with the base color and then as you sort of increase on the beginning of every row, you then in introduce your second color and you, you sort of knit either two rows or four rows or six rows in that color. So you're always changing color on one side of the, of the diagonal and um, or oh, I should say on one side of the diamond, because it ends up being a diamond shape. You you knit until you get to the, as long as wide as you're going to go for the the diagonal, and then you start casting off at each the beginning of each row until you get back to one stitch, and then cast that off. But the effect of the striping on the diagonal is incredibly effective. Um, I must say it's just a, a very dramatic pattern and because it's pretty random I'm just enjoying doing the random striping um, I'm finding it that it's it's really rewarding and it's fun every every time I sort of uh, change color I get excited to see what the result is going to be like <laughs> um, so to today's podcast episode today I have something a little different um, and we're not going to be talking to a knitter we are actually going to be talking to a poet um, Roger MacDonald is Sandy MacDonald's husband. Uh, you'll remember I spoke to Sandy a few episodes ago. She is Rhonda's niece and uh, lives in Melbourne. And it was <clears throat> she, she and Rhonda that first came up with the idea of Knitter Square. Sandy was the person who designed the website and got the, the whole concept of um, overseas knitters sending knitted squares through to South Africa. So Sandy certainly had a very big part in, in putting the whole thing together. But Roger, being her husband, um, and also being a partner with her in her business, in their business, uh, was able to participate quite a lot in the early days, um, <clears throat> helping to get that website up and running, doing some of the background research, and um, also writing some poetry. Poetry about knitting about orphans, about uh, squares and blankets that were going to um, help vulnerable children in Africa. So he's an interesting person to talk to and I got him on Zoom and we had a lovely chat and he reads some of his poetry about knitting 
um, on the on the interview. So I think you're going to enjoy that. That's with Roger McDonald. And then after that interview, um, it's been on my mind to share with you how to uh, listen to this podcast and any podcast, in fact, using a podcast app on a cell phone. Because um, I know many of many of you uh, listen to the podcast via the Nessa Square website, which of course is um, a, a good way of doing it, but it doesn't give you the mobility that I enjoy. Uh, when <clears throat> when I sit with earplugs in my ear and my phone in my pockets and I can be um, doing housework or going for a walk or simply doing my knitting or crocheting and listening to a podcast um, via my smartphone just makes it a little bit more, um, as I said, there's more sort of flexibility. You can get up and make a cup of tea. You, you don't have to stop the recording um, or the playback of the track. Uh, when you get up from your chair, you just take it all with you because it's in your pocket. So I'm going to share with you how to do that. Um, that'll be after the interview at the end of the episode. So I hope you're going to enjoy. Roger, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. And um, you're in Melbourne, so uh, I hope you've had a good day in Melbourne. What's the weather like there? Uh, it's been reasonable. We've had a fairly decent kind of, almost I suppose call it a, an Indian summer of a winter. Ooh. So it's been mild and sunny, which is pleasant. But normally we only get to a sort of 10 or 11 around this time of the year, but it's been a little bit higher than that, which is pleasant. Very nice for winter, yes. And how's the lockdown been? Mm. Look, I am finding it not as difficult as some people. We're used to working from home. We've done it for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, the hardest part, I think, is not seeing family and friends. Um, the rules are quite strict, so we're only allowed up for an hour a day. There's a oh. curfew for... 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, yeah, we're only allowed out for an hour at most. Only one person can uh, enter the shops and do that sort of thing. So it's a little bit tight, but we're that's, getting through. That's very tight and even stricter than South Africa. And we thought we had it at a difficult. Mm. That's a very strict well, lockdown. I, I know, and it's been a long time for you as well. How long? Uh, since the 27th of March, I believe, and we are in the what we call level three lockdown. So for us, we are able to go to the shops as long as we're wearing masks. Uh, they do limit the number of people in stores. But um, this weekend, I actually visited a restaurant and there were several people sitting at tables. Uh, so it, it was um, not, not too unusual, actually. It was quite nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. There are some other difficult sides for us. I won't go on about it, but uh, we have a very old and great friend who lives in Sydney. And unfortunately, he's in the last stages of a very severe cancer. Mm -hmm. And his daughter lives here in Melbourne, and she's not allowed to even go and see him as he dies. That's so the hardest thing, I think, is that when you're separated from problem. family in distress, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. And our neighbour, for example, is an emergency uh, doctor and even she says that she's finding it quite wearing and gruesome to be with particularly older patients who are dying but can have no family around them, yeah. which I think is particularly hard. Extremely so, sure. Yeah, mm. sure. Well, to happier so, things, uh, Roger, um, yes. We, we are uh, chatting um, because of your book. You, you wrote a book of poetry called Heart Yarns. And um, yes. I believe you wrote it at the time when Nitter Square was first created. So can you tell us, um, well, first of all, your, your um, background as a poet. And um, then we'll chat a little bit about the, how the book came about. But first of all, your interest in poetry. Yes, well, thank you. Uh, it goes back a long way, and uh, it really starts as a story of failure more than anything else, in that uh, I remember at junior school, 
very young child, um, <clears throat> we were very excited, <clears throat> excuse me, to be introduced to music uh, and not just singing or learning music, but learning to play it. Mm -hmm. And so um, the great excitement for me, as I think about an eight-year-old, was that we were able to, through a, a school um, scheme, buy a guitar. Uh, and sadly for me, um, my parents discovered that I'd been hoarding fruit in my school bag because I didn't like oranges, but I was too scared because of the time of my life. I was too scared to either give it away or even worse, throw it away. Mm -hmm. And so the punishment for my uh, deviance was that I was not allowed to have the guitar. So that was the end of my musical career, oh. sadly. Anyway, um, and, and another sad fact of my limited abilities that I have no visual art skills at all. Mm -hmm. I, I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. <laughs> Drawing water from a well is a challenge. So <laughs> that kind of left me with um, reading and writing. And I was lucky enough to have a, a very talented older sister who taught me to read and write at a very young age before I went to school. And so when I got to school, I was in, which was a very crowded primary school, because I could read and write, I was promoted two grades above my age. Mm -hmm. And so I always felt out of my depth in anything other than reading and writing. Of course. And so that's where the, where the link came from. Mm -hmm. uh, had you written um, poetry and stuff before the Heart Yarns book? Yes, oh yes, I've been a scribbler all my life. Uh, I, I never go anywhere without books and writing material because there's always something singing in my head and um, the lack of music in my life, I think I replaced with uh, the language that seemed to me to closely replicate it. Mm. I was also very fortunate in my um, later school years to have had an English teacher who introduced me to Shakespeare somewhat differently to the usual method and he taught me not only to to read the words but to listen to them and that's mm. how I discovered the, the music of, of poetry in Shakespeare. So that was a wonderful um, legacy to take into my adolescence I suppose yeah. and so I started writing stories and poems from a very young age and have never stopped. Lovely. <laughs> hmm. And then tell us about the um, the decision to write poems to celebrate the Nutter Square venture. Yes, um, you've probably, well you've interviewed Sandy, my partner, who uh, founded Nitter Square in 2008 um, there's a little bit of a backstory to it. We, in 2006, we realized that our joint business, which was a marketing and communications business, uh, it was called Art Words, and Sandy was the art and I was the words. Mm. We still are to this day. Yeah. But uh, we realized that we had to make some substantial changes to this business because um, the internet world of of internet marketing had, sorry, marketing had um, rapidly escalated and we realized that if we didn't catch up, we would be in trouble with our mm -hmm. business. And so um, we did all sorts of courses and we went to Sydney on workshops and did all sorts of things. The one lesson <laughs> that I remember with great amusement was some advice given us by an old mentor of ours who said, you know, whatever you do uh, with this new internet marketing tool, for heaven's sake, don't start a charity. <laughs> so, you know, what did we do? We came back to Melbourne and promptly started a charity. <laughs> anyway, 
that's neither here nor there. And that's, it's for the love of it that we did it. Sure. So when, when we got started and Sandy was doing her online experimentation to see if she could interest knitters to just knit a small square and send it to her aunt in Johannesburg. Um, I said, okay, look, it's a lot of work setting up the website. You'll need help with some research on the background to not just the issue of the orphans and vulnerable children, but the story of how knitting could fit itself into the overall scheme of the, of the idea. And so I helped with some of the background research and writing some of the content, which, you know, that's my bread and butter. That's how mm -hmm. I earn my living. Right. And along the way, I suppose I had a little bit of a, uh, an epiphany in that the more I learned about the process of knitting and particularly about both groups and individual knitters around the world, the more I realized how devoted they were not only to their craft and their skill, but they had this extraordinary desire to do something practical with their work. Mm. And sometimes it was more than doing something practical, it was doing something spiritual. Sure. And that, that really impressed me. And I thought to myself, there's a link here. I could be saying stuff. I could be writing material that could in some way, in some humble way, I hope, um, bring out that spiritual side in people as they knitted. Mm. Uh, and so that's where the idea came from. And so I just got to work and started writing. It's my habit to write every day, not because I necessarily want to, but because I have to. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, that's part of the um, profile, I think, of being a poet, that when the muse is with you, there's nothing you can do but respond or perhaps even surrender. And so I got started and uh, I began to publish the first of the poems under a pseudonym because, I don't know, some sort of perhaps false modesty suggested that I shouldn't um, interrupt the limelight from Sandy and Rhonda who were doing all this great work. So I just initially submitted the work under a pseudonym and people started to respond to it and wondered, first of all, who was this fellow, this bloke, this man, <laughs> and why was he taking an interest in a, in a knitting site for orphans? Anyway, eventually one thing led to another and I had to reveal my identity and people seem to enjoy the work and I just kept going. Well, on that note, I mean, lovely, Roger, because um, I, I love what you say about uh, the insight that for knitters, it's uh, not just a practical, but a spiritual kind of contribution that they're making. I'm going to ask you at this point, if you could perhaps read one of the poems that um, links into that theme. I'd be happy to, yes. Uh, funnily enough, one of them uh, hit what seemed to be a sweet spot quite early in the piece, and it was one of the very first ones I wrote from you. Know? Mm -hmm. um, so I'll read that for you now. One tick. I can find it. it gives the background noise. I'm just opening it up. So this is called Flying Sticks. Clickety clacks, clackety clicks, that's the sound of hurrying sticks, knitting fast and stitching slow, squares for blankets on the go. Little orphans, do you know the meaning of these politics? Give us strength to play these tricks with yarn and hooks and flying sticks that we can make a winter fix. 
So that was just a short one. Mm. Um, designed really to get across the idea of the fascination I could recall from my, both my grandmother's knitting, that it struck me as a young boy that they were magicians and that these flying okay. sticks, as I thought they were, could in no time produce this magic fabric. I just couldn't understand how they were so clever. That's lovely. I love that insight that you have and the, the, the personal experience. That's really beautiful. Mm, mm. Sure. And your reference to the little orphans. What, what personal connection do you have to Africa and um, the, the needs of the children here? Right. Well, um, I'm an Australian born originally, uh, but I left after uni when I was ridiculously young. I was, as I said earlier, I was two years younger than all of my schoolmates sure. and therefore my university mates. And so uh, when I left university, I decided I really needed to do some fairly extensive personal growth and learning. So I decided that travel would be the way to go. And uh, instead of the modern habit of uh, uh, students leaving school and having what we call a gap year, I think you would know it as a gap year as well. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I waited till I'd done two years of university and then decided I had to take a break. Mm -hmm. So I went off to New Zealand and spent a year there working and traveling and then finished up in England where I met Sandy. Mm -hmm. And uh, if ever there was a case of love at first sight, this was it. Wonderful. I have happy to say I've written reams of stuff about it, but that's another, another story. Anyway, she, like me, was uh, a young African traveling the world. In her case, it was just to the UK where she had family. Okay. Uh, and I was a young Aussie doing my Aussie thing. Eventually, sadly, her grandmother died soon after we met and her grandmother was more her mother. She was brought up by her grandparents largely. And it was a terrible blow for Sandy. So she went back, uh, she couldn't make it for the funeral, but she went back nonetheless to, to visit and to reconnect. And I wasn't sure whether she would return. We were living in London at the time, but she did. Anyway, our visas eventually ran out and she said, well, I just want to go home. I'm homesick. What about thinking of coming to Africa and I said yes please okay. and that's how we got there uh, and we subsequently had eight years altogether four years in what was then Rhodesia mm -hmm. and another four years in uh, what became Zimbabwe for sure while yeah. uh, while I was there I um, became a journalist, I did my qualifications and finished up writing about the independence war. And fortunately, we thought that Zimbabwe had the capacity to become what we used to call the Switzerland of Africa. Mm. But unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. Mm. And so we left and well, I returned to Australia, bringing with me Sandy and our two little girls. Lovely. But of course, Africa, when it gets into your blood, cannot be removed. Mm. And having family there, Rhonda in South Africa, she left Rhodesia at about the same time we did. Um, of course, we stayed in touch very closely. Sandy's a, from a very close family. And we visited... Oh, how many times? Three times, I think, between um, the mid-80s and 2000. So when Rhonda uh, flew over to join us in Australia for a kind of family reunion, and she told us the work 
she was doing with orphans and vulnerable children, which of course is what got Sandy thinking about the whole Knitter Square idea. And mm -hmm. so uh, I got involved as well, as, as we've discussed, and the rest is history. Well, on that note, perhaps you could read us another one of your poems that sort of evokes the children and what, what they are. Right. Okay, one moment. I just get organized. All right, so ritual stitching, it's called. The flow of yarn over fingers, the steady slowness of the loops, inching up the image lingers in memory and eyelid droops. The scent advances as she stoops to carry me to feathered bliss in darkness, made the safer by the waft of that unconscious kiss. I knew but could not reason why there were no terrors in that sky where hugeness lay. The morning stole under curtains that could not keep the daylight back and I'd patrol the child fresh paddocks popped by sheep with eyes still slightly drugged with sleep. Beds soon abandoned, morning smoke flavoured the kitchen with desire. No gourmet of the city folk could hope to capture. The toasting fire made the manor and me the squire. Days fled in waves of fearful happiness. All tides must turn. Elsewhere remained afar for me passportless. But once late afternoon had drained, to firelit night hope was regained. Ritual stitching began again, the simple reassurance of repeated things, the pleasure when the knitting fitted like a glove, knowing uncomplicated love. So that was my uh, maternal grandmother, she and her husband had a, uh, a small bush block about 40 kilometres from Melbourne. So they were out in the bush, as we call it. And it was my great joy in life to spend some of the school holidays with them, mm -hmm. where as a child I could literally run wild from dawn to dusk and they were quite happy that I could look after myself. And it was just marvelous. It was like growing up in, in a, a kind of forested heaven. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. And can you tell us a little bit about the title of the book, Heart Yarns? Um, look, it's serendipitous. I can't say that it was a flash of genius. Um, I guess my training as a writer has taught me to follow particular processes. I've invented some of them as well. And the discipline of journalism teaches you three things, or it should, which are accuracy, clarity, and brevity. Mm. And so, when I reflected on the spirituality of the craft and the, particularly the women who practice it, some of the poems, they're actually, it's actually a three volume set and Heart Yarn mm -hmm. is only one of the three. Mm -hmm. Many of the poems have, I'll say a spiritual component rather than a religious one. Mm -hmm. But I thought much of this really does come from the heart. And of course, there's a couple of puns in yarns where yeah. particularly in Australia, a yarn, of course, is a story. It's ah, a tale. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's been in the, in the Australian vernacular for, oh, almost forever. Lovely. We used to have fireside yarns where mm -hmm. parents would sit around the fire pre-television days and of course there were storytellings and sing songs and mm -hmm. it was always called a yarn. I'm mm -hmm. not quite sure what the provenance of the 
the word is, but that's that's an Australian term. And so it's, it struck me that heart and yarn went perfectly together. Yes. And, and um, from my uh, understanding, it's also a, a sort of a connecting because as you said in one of the poems, there's that looping and threading. Um, and when you use a yarn, you're, you're sort of uh, connecting one stitch to the other to make up a fabric. So it's a very connective uh, process. And um, it seems to me that your, your poetry is also uh, celebrating that connection between knitter and child at the other end. Yes, yes. It's, it's very rich territory, really, mm. for making those symbolic emotional connections between mother and child, particularly. Mm, absolutely. Mm. What about another one, Roger? Um, in that case, I'm going to pick one that makes that connection. If you'll give me a moment. Mm -hmm. This is called A Mother to Bees Knitting Prayer. So this is um, a pregnant woman who is contemplating the future of her child's life in hers. Mm-hmm. I know with certainty that all I am is generating strength in you and like my knitted shawl will give protection through the length of these short months till you become the creature of your destiny. We celebrate the silent hum of growth. This pact gives you and me the secret bonding of the blood is written in your unformed face, a face already understood. My heart's found new ways to replace the flow that it diverts to you in sleep and in my waking brain. Each cell of blood that washes through is laden with the wealth you strain before returning to my heart. I cannot plumb this mystery. I'm comforted that for our part in this unlasting nursery, we grow as one. My pulsing womb absorbs my whole attention now. With every beat, I feel you bloom an atom more and know somehow we have a language of our own that needs no voice but sings its rhymes in silence. As I knit alone, I weave these simple silken lines in reminiscence of the womb you must vacate. A sadness then will briefly mourn my empty tomb. In life, we will be one again. So that's the, the connection between mother and child and how tenuous life must be for orphans for whom that link has been broken. Mm. So there's some very deeply uh -huh. felt emotional connections there for me and I hope for, for the knitting reader. That's a beautiful poem. It, it actually brings to mind a verse um, from Psalms, which uh, I'd almost forgotten, but it says, um, praying to God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And I'd, I'd never thought of that verse in connection with knitting, ah, but your, so your poem really brings that out. It's amazing. Excellent. I'm glad. Yeah. So Roger, um, you've, you've got the, these three volumes of poetry, um, but I seem to remember you told me in your email that uh, it hadn't actually been published. What, what happened to interrupt that? And um, where do you want to go from here? Ooh, uh, the short answer is life got in the way. Mm. Uh, we had some, uh, we call them business difficulties. Um, some of it was bad luck, some of it bad management, put the two together. And um, we found ourselves pretty distracted over quite some years trying to recover the business mm. uh, and to reinvent ourselves multiple times. Mm. Um, so that's been pretty interesting and full on for the last decade really and 
you know, things like GFCs and of course now this pandemic has struck and you tend to get a bit distracted. You have to focus on the quotidian stuff of daily life and feeding and mortgages and all those kinds of That's things. Right. So yeah. the, the distractions did get in the way, but there are plans still to revive them and mm. we'll with Sandy's inimitable skills, um, we'll go back into the whole kind of knitter square concept and see if we can recontact or make a, a new contact with the book and mm -hmm. promote it online. I think that would be lovely. It's your poems are very, um, they, they really do appeal to a knitter. Uh, you've, you've definitely got a, a a connection there with your um, with your grandmother's knitting and uh, the the words are beautiful the, the the way that you celebrate that skill and craft and that spiritual connection to the children that they're knitting for. I think that's, that's very kind. Thank you. Yeah. So, what about one more poem to end off with? All right. You tell me. You've read them. You tell me which one you'd like. I'm going to go for knitting as a second language. I think that's the name of it. Right. A couple of lines in there that really appeal to me. <laughs> All right, that's good. Um, okay, knitting as a second language. She sat with them still-faced, silent, a mystery in her set of mouth. What motive drove her this far south? And who would understand her words, sealed in with undefined intent? Pondering on it afterward, the puzzle deepened like a well. Was she a sort of castaway, abandoned on their shores that day? A secret agent dropped behind, their lines a Madame Pimpernel, so far removed from her own kind. It's likely in a crowded street for anonymity to feed upon itself and not pay heed to anyone or anything. Why then did she choose to retreat to them? What comfort could they bring? They were a simple knitting stall. She was an unannounced stranger. Were they the stable and the manger with the nonunativity, the needles and the woolen ball, her call to creativity? No language crossed. Her fingers flew, massaging row on eager row. I watched a square for orphans grow. There were folk and talked to tempt me. Turning away and back, I knew I would find her station empty. But there, upon her vacant seat, glimmered a remnant of her heart and fingers now transformed to art. Her absence lingered briefly on that tiny square, so deft, so neat, appeared to shimmer and was gone. So the background to that was we had set up, sorry, I'll go back a step, mm. um, where we lived and worked at the time uh, in a place called Ivanhoe in Melbourne. We had an annual um, festival mm -hmm. where the main road through the suburb was closed off for the day and all sorts of things happened, rides and um, uh, animal farms and stalls of all descriptions. All of the local shops would uh, put tables out in front and offer specials and food and music and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we decided that we would put up a stall as well for Knitter Square. Yeah. And we would have a row of empty chairs and lots of wool and lots of needles and crochet hooks. And we'd invite people to come in, learn our story and Knitter Square on the spot if they could. Wonderful idea. <laughs> yeah. And look, it proved really popular. Yeah. But uh, this particular poem is about an Asian woman who mm. spoke no English at all. Mm. So we couldn't really communicate with her, but she just watched what people were doing, 
took a chair, took up a ball of wool and needles, and within minutes produced this absolutely gorgeous square. Didn't say a word. Yeah. I turned my back and she'd gone, but there was the square left behind. I, I think it was a, just a really poignant poem and, a, and somehow very relevant today, in, you know, in an, an age of many refugees and migrants and people who are sort of foreigners um, and who don't necessarily uh, integrate or communicate, but they are, um, they are skilled, they bring their skills to a country. And in that one, I love that, uh, your line, a remnant of her heart. Her, yes, I think it's Ooh. of her heart, isn't it? Um, yes. And uh, that image of the square lying there on the chair, it's her gift. And I just think that's beautiful. Well done, Roger. Well, it's very simple and uh, I think symbolic of the heartfelt joy and um, kindness, I think, mm. that so many of these knitters around the world display anonymously. You know, yes, absolutely. I, we don't really know the number now. We think mm. it's well over 20,000 people, mm -hmm. judging by the, the absolute flood of squares that keep arriving in Johannesburg. Um, well, funnily yeah, so enough, I was, I was chatting to Kath Riley last week, and she said um, that so many of the, the squares that she sends over are from people collected from uh, local churches, because she puts boxes yes. out and people drop in the box drop in the squares and they don't attach their names so these squares come from people all over um without names but just obviously a, a contribution and a, a mark of their um their care which is really lovely excellent mm. well roger thank you so much for chatting to us i think you've really um helped stir some some deep feelings your your poetry is very moving and i thank you for um sharing with us and uh, also the background of your poetry and your hopes for your books. I wish you all the best with those. And thank you so much too, Leanne, and I should thank you in turn for your splendid work as a volunteer. And, you know, as, as we depart tonight, let us thank all of those volunteers Absolutely. all around the world who, through the, the goodness of their heart and their soul, are making a difference for these children who can't possibly know, I suppose, just how this machinery of love works in the background. Well said. That's beautiful. Mm. Thanks, Roger. All right, Leanne. All the best and keep up the great work. We really appreciate it. I just want to echo Roger's words there and say we so value all the uh, contributions of our volunteers around the world. We've got so many wonderful knitters and crocheters, people who um, support us financially and people who send uh, messages of support and are always um, getting in touch and, and letting, letting us know how much they love to to see on the website uh, the pictures that have been put up and the reports that have been written about the distributions so thank you to to you if if you're a, a loyal member <laughs> or perhaps even if you're a new member um we welcome you and hope that you'll be a, a long-standing member with us at knitter square now as i um promised you at the beginning i'm going to explain to you uh, how to use a podcast app on your smartphone. If you've um, already mastered the skill, you can just fast forward to towards the end of the, the episode where I sign off. But um, if you uh, would like to know how to do this, I'm going to just walk you through it. So you have a smartphone uh, which can connect to the web. Now, um, what you'll need to do is go onto your um, app store and search for a podcast app. There are several of these. Uh, you could look for Apple Podcasts if you've got an iPhone, or you could look for Google Pod, Pod, Podcasts, 
um, and I know that there's several others, but I'm going to advise that you go to one of those two because they're the biggest and because I know for sure that um, the Nutter Square podcast is uh, available through those podcast apps. Uh, some of the smaller podcast apps um, may not have Nutter Square um, listed as yet. <laughs> it takes time for, for us to sort of get onto all the smaller ones. Anyway, you'll um, download the podcast app. It's going to be free. And once you've loaded that in, um, you go, uh, you'll go. you find that you have something like a library, which will uh, be a place where you can find all the podcasts that you subscribe to. And of course, you haven't subscribed to any yet, so your library will be empty. Uh, so you go to your search function, search and explore or however they describe it. Um, on the iPhone, which is what I use, it gives you a, a selection of, it gives you the featured podcasts, which are going to be the very big ones, um, usually professionally produced with lots of uh, celebrity status. That's not where you'll find Nutter Square. Um, you'll also find um, perhaps some categories, which will take you to things like uh, literature, news, sports, TV, um, uh, trying to think health, family, those kind of subjects. Uh, and you can browse through those, um, but I'm going to suggest that to find the Nutter Square podcast, um, you'll need to search in, type into the search bar. So you either type in Nutter Square or you'll type in my name, Leanne Hunt, um, and that's going to be the easiest way for you to find uh, the Nutter Square podcast. It should come up um, in your search results, um, and if it, if it doesn't, there are other ways of doing it, say, uh, going to the website copying and pasting the link and then typing it into the search bar. But I think if you put my name in, um, I think that's probably the easiest way to find it. Um, as far as I know, there aren't too many Leanne Hunts out there offering podcasts. Once you um, click on it and it comes up and it's the Knitter Square podcast, look for the subscribe button and hit subscribe. If you do that, um, it's going to put Knitter Square into your library and it will download the episodes automatically into your library for you to listen to as they are released every two weeks. Um, that is always the best way to do it. Uh, it's easy to um, subscribe to a podcast and then if you lose interest in it, you can unsubscribe again. Um, and I'm not suggesting you do that with Knitter Square, but I am suggesting that you browse through and find some other podcasts to add to your library because once you you get accustomed to listening to the podcasts that have been downloaded into your library I'm almost convinced you're you're going to be thoroughly enamored with um, having this um, this facility I suppose you'd call it because it's a little bit like having your own um, custom radio station you choose the kind of podcast you want uh, to listen to and some of them are, are um, released every day like a news station might might uh, release a, a news broadcast every day um, but most podcasts come out once a week or, or once every two weeks and um, they will land in your library and then you can listen to them whenever you want to at your own convenience and as I say I um, I make podcast listening part of my day um, sometime sort of after I've um, you know got my husband off to work and fed the dogs and do that do all those things I will um, make a cup of coffee and I'll listen to a, a podcast or two in the morning while I'm busy doing some chores and because uh, there's no interruptions and because I can um focus on whatever I'm doing while being entertained or informed or educated or whatever the case may be, I find that that's really valuable time for me and, and I don't then resent the housework that I'm doing. Um, so I, I really encourage you to look for the Nutter Square podcast and, and upload it. And I know that if you um, look for, if you type knitting in the search bar, you'll probably find a couple of other really good knitting podcasts. I can recommend a couple to you, uh, which I enjoy. The one would be the Two Knitlet Chicks, and that's about um, knitting and literature, or just books. Uh, the other one I enjoy is called The Yarniacs, and that's a, a couple of women who discuss the sweaters and um, scarves and shawls and things that they're making, and they're very entertaining. And then there's another one called The Two Use Fiber Adventures, and uh, again, two women discussing 
what they're getting up to in terms of their sort of week-to-week -week interests and also whatever projects they're working on. So those ones are perhaps my top three nesting podcasts that I listen to every single week or whenever they come out. <laughs> and then um, I'm always going through a, a few other topics of interest uh, depending on sort of what I'm into at the time. Um, I've, as you know, I've been into my garden, so I've listened to and subscribed to a few gardening podcasts, and that has led me to an interest in nature podcasts. And I must say, I've just subscribed in the last couple of days to a couple of really nice nature podcasts. And I think this has been in reaction to um, all the really um, stressful, anxious making news that has been coming out. And I've wanted something that would really just keep me grounded and not um, not always having to listen to um, the, the most immediate bad news that is coming out. Um, and I can just recommend to you, there's one, uh, in fact, BBC uh, Radio 4 put out a lot of really good podcasts. Um, the one that I just discovered is called Country File Magazine, I think, um, and for me, as a visually impaired person, I particularly enjoy it because this is a, a podcast where a person will actually describe the setting they're in um, and do it in a very uh, vivid way so that even if you can't see what, what he's pointing to or describing, you can imagine it in your head. So uh, I enjoy that because it gives me a sense of, of being able to um, visit or, yeah, sort of figuratively visit uh, a new place a new destination and to get a really good sense of what it's like and then of course there are sound effects that are included in the podcast say birds or insects or whatever the, the case may be um, so if you are interested in nature podcasts you could type into the search bar wildlife or nature or natural history or something and see what comes up for you because you can subscribe and as I say listen to a couple of episodes see if that um, meets you know meets your your taste and if you don't like them you can always unsubscribe again but the point is that you are really making a custom radio station as I say for you to listen to and you can um, alter your taste um, as as your own interests change over the course of the year if you want to <laughs> some podcasts I, I listen to for you know a year for years on end I have uh, listened to some of the knitting podcasts for two or three years maybe longer um, and some of the others I've only discovered recently and I'm enjoying so um, see what you can do and I hope this works for you because I, I think that if you learn to do it you will find that it really revolutionizes your the time you spend um, because you don't any longer feel guilty about spending time knitting and, and not, not sort of uh, doing something else at the same time. So do that and um, I wish you well and I'll chat to you again in two weeks time. This is Leanne Hunt casting off. You can find show notes at www.knit-a-square.com slash kas-podcast. Please tell your friends about this podcast if you've enjoyed it, and you can share links on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever your knitting friends congregate. Together, we are bringing hope to South Africa's vulnerable children, one square at a time.